ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Are you ready for a space adventure? I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. And this week, we're going on a journey through the universe, but told through something a little closer to home. Our tour guide is Crystal DiNapoli. Yama, I'd like to start off by acknowledging that it is an honour to be able to work on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. So I acknowledge that these lands remain unceded and acknowledge their continued connection to these beautiful skies and waterways. Um, and yeah, let's dive into it. <laughs> on the scale of the entire universe, Earth is nothing but the smallest, dimmest speck of dust. Our universe is filled with innumerable colossal objects, with stars so large that when placed at the heart of our solar system, centered in the same place as our sun, their size extends far beyond the orbit of even Jupiter. This is a size that is inconceivable, 1,500 times wider than our sun, swallowing every single planet in between in what would be a barbecuing of cosmic proportion. We have galaxy structures so large that even our sun becomes but a pixel in the cinematic masterpiece that is our Milky Way galaxy. In comparison, our Earth is but a flicker of borrowed light, lost to the boundlessness of space. Yet here on Earth, it can be difficult to think of our planet as small. We have continents so expansive that they would never truly satisfy the appetite of even the most keen explorer. We have oceans with unfathomable depths that would drown even the tallest of our mountains. And yet, if we were to scale our universe down to fit in the depth of all of the Earth's oceans, imagining that the cosmic canvas, which is currently painted with all kinds of wondrous things like galaxies, nebulae, and supermassive black holes, now swim within those waters, we would find that there are as many stars in that cosmic ocean than there are individual grains of sand on all of Earth's beaches combined. Extending this analogy further, Imagining now that Earth is floating within those watery depths, our planet would not even be significant enough in size to be compared to a drop of water in that ocean of the universe. Nor would it be accurate to compare it to even a single atom of hydrogen tumbling through those waves. No, Earth is much smaller than even that. But before continuing on this great voyage through our universe, we must first make port back in time to the early 1900s. This was an exciting era in the realm of physics, where many scientists were working on a conceptualization of the nature of our universe. They had come to recognize the universe as a cosmic fabric that weaves together the three dimensions of space with the passage of time into a single four-dimension continuum now known as space-time. It is during this period where we were gifted with one of the most revolutionary theories in modern physics by a man named Albert Einstein. This theory would come to be known as the theory of relativity, comprising two main components, the theory of special relativity and the theory of general relativity. Einstein's theory of special relativity arose first and it's proposed two key things. Firstly, that the laws of physics remain the same in every inertial reference frame, meaning that no matter how fast you're moving, from your point of view, the laws of physics hold true. You can get a sense for this if you imagine that you're inside a windowless train that is traveling along at a constant speed. 
When you're inside the train, it feels like just being at rest. You can walk, jump, do everything normally. The fast speed of the train isn't throwing you into a wall when your feet leave the ground. <laughs> the train is the reference frame you're within. Now, let's say you have a friend. They're standing outside the train watching you through a window. To them, it might seem like you're moving inside the train, but the laws of physics inside the train still work the same for you. Whether you're moving inside the train or standing still, these observations hold true. The second assertion is that the speed of light remains constant, no matter who measures it or how fast the observer is moving. Imagine you have a flashlight and you shine it out in front of you. No matter how fast you're moving or whether you're moving toward or away from something, the light from your flashlight will always travel at the same speed. This theory was great, but it needed further refinement. We needed an extension of it that takes into account the unique influence that immense gravity has on the cosmic fabric of space-time. So, just 10 years later, Einstein published the theory of general relativity. It was here that Einstein proposed that mass and energy curve the fabric of space-time itself. Imagine placing a massive object, like a star, on a stretched cloth of fabric. The mass of the object causes the sheet to bend, and any smaller objects placed nearby will move along the curved surface due to this bending. This bending of space-time is what we experience as gravity. According to Einstein's theory, objects with mass create gravitational fields that extend through the fabric of space-time itself. The greater the mass of an object, the more it curves space-time around it, influencing the paths of other objects nearby. He hypothesized that when very massive objects move or interact, such as two very dense objects like black holes or neutron stars, they generate gravitational waves that propagate outward at the speed of light. These gravitational waves are literal ripples across the fabric of space-time, something you could visualize as though you've dropped a heavy rock into still water, causing a propagation of tiny waves from that site of impact. These gravitational waves cause tiny, periodic stretching and compressing of space-time as they pass through, meaning that when these large objects collide, our tiny planet is being compressed and stretched on a scale imperceptible to those of us living here. This has exciting implications, as now we understand that at the very heart of most galaxies lies a colossal beast of unfathomable proportions, <laughs> a supermassive black hole with sizes that range from up to tens of billions of times the mass of our sun. When two galaxies collide in the universe, these supermassive black holes are drawn to one another, often ending up in a frantic death spiral where the two objects rapidly orbit one another, drawing closer until they eventually merge in a violent collision. These mergers generate gravitational waves that are felt across much of the universe. The nature of these gravitational waves are that they are so large that if you were to freeze one in place and try to travel from one of its peaks over to the next, traveling as fast as the speed of light at 300,000 kilometers per second, it would take you several years to get there. So to detect something that operates on this scale, which also doesn't emit its own observable light, means that we've had to be creative with our approach. We need a detector a telescope, the size of an entire galaxy to be able to confirm their presence. So, how do we build something the size of a galaxy? 
Well, if we resume our imagining of the universe as a very vast ocean, with these significant gravitational events causing those ripples through its waters, we draw a need for celestial lighthouses, ones that can help us make sense of the nature of that choppy water. We need lighthouses whose light we understand so thoroughly, such that when we observe them through these waves, we can see how that light is influenced. These brings us to these very, very cool objects called pulsars, often referred to as cosmic clocks. Pulsars are neutron stars, which emit strong beams of light while spinning very, very rapidly. If one of these spinning neutron stars are angled just right towards our planet, we will see their light arrive in consistent pulses. Every time that that beam shines in our direction, hence the name pulsar. These pulses of light are so consistent, they help us to measure very far distances in the universe. They can be thought of as cosmic metronomes, who keep a steady beat, only straying out of tune if something like a gravitational wave causes the fabric of space between us to alter the, the path that the light takes. If the light arrives a fraction of a second late, and it really is a very, very tiny fraction of a second, <laughs> it illustrates the warping of space-time in between. We've discovered over 2,000 of these bright pulsars scattered in all directions across our galaxy and the universe. When their light reaches us, we can use any slight deviations in the arrival time to map the gravitational waves that are rippling through space-time. This is a profound step towards using the universe itself to detect invisible phenomena, hopefully leading to more mysteries solved like that of dark matter. In 2023, a global collaboration of incredible astrophysicists used our galaxy-sized detector of thousands of pulsars, carefully tracking the time of arrival of their light to confirm that in this universe, filled with trillions of galaxies, many with these orbiting supermassive black holes at their center, gravitational waves are constantly generated. There are deviations in pulsar light everywhere, showing us that the universe truly is a colossal ocean with seas of gravitational waves we can observe through the beams of our celestial lighthouses. Thank you. That was Crystal Dinapoli. Crystal is a Gomorrah woman, author, radio presenter and honours student at Murdoch University. She was speaking there at our Occam's Razor live event at the Royal Society of Victoria on Wurundjeri land. I'm Tegan Taylor, and I'll be back next week with more stellar science for you. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.